a gospel reading this morning is the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 43 through 51. And you can follow along in the New Testament section of your Pew Bible on page 70. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him about whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus, son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, Come and see. When Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him, he said of him, Here is truly an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael asked him, Where did you get to know me? Jesus answered, I saw you under the fig tree before Philip called you. Nathanael replied, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. Jesus answered, Do you believe because I told you that I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, Very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. We celebrate the written word of Scripture. We celebrate the living word, Christ among us. Let us pray. By your Holy Spirit, O God, open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds to the Holy Word so that it comes to guide us for Jesus' sake. Amen. God is not dead. God is not silent. God is alive and speaking. And is anyone listening? I believe that that is the meaning of this morning's scripture readings. I will propose that these readings lead us to listen for the voice and call of God and reflect them in God-inspired actions throughout our lives. But first, Bob Coot tells the story of a seminary student who asserted that God spoke privately to him. Bob said in response to the student, shame on you. I thought of that in preparation for today's sermon when I asked the question, does God still speak? I risk Bob's shame when I answer, yes, God still speaks. But I will take some time to qualify that assertion with some conditions, cautions, and lessons, and hopefully some techniques that help us with that difficult 
condition. God still speaks inside us, but there is the danger that God's message will be obscured by that louder internal voice, what Sigmund Freud called the id. The id is highly susceptible to fear, mendacity, and greed, and is too readily a mirror of the actions of a hating and violent mob. I think we can see in the President of the United States a man whose ego has almost wholly mirrors his id. We must be cautious in any claim to hear God speaking, lest we are misled by the voice of the id. Based on my experience, the id is the personified interior urges that kept a body alive when it was a child. The id as an adult is a braggart and would like to claim that it is God's voice. The id distorts any of the ego's self-hating thoughts by creating a counter-narrative that hates others. The ego that hates one's weight can promote an id judgmental of others' weight. An ego's homosexual urges can be distorted by the id into a homophobic narrative when it is collected under the banner of a moral mob. Listening to the id's counter-narrative is highly dangerous, and that is why we take claims of hearing God's voice with such skepticism. The skepticism is hard won. We've been burned too long and too often by leaders who claim to hear God's voice in all kinds of unrighteous ways. Yet, if we believe we are in relationship with God through Christ, that relationship requires communication to make it authentically alive and human. Without communication, there is no relationship. Our readings this morning speak about the calling by name of God to God's followers. Samuel is called at night by name but misunderstands. As the scripture says, he does not know the Lord. Samuel had to be prepared by Eli to understand what and whom he was hearing. In the Gospel of John reading this morning, Nathanael is called by his own name by Jesus. Jesus knows his name, he says, because he saw Nathanael sitting under a fig tree. Another scripture in the New Testament says that God knows us by name and calls us. And there is no mention that this voice has ceased in post-Easter times. Though there are denominations and churches in this country that do say that, that God's voice has ceased since Easter. I'm arguing, though, that we are called by name and hear God's voice in our conscience. God is Lord of the conscience, our confession state, our Presbyterian confessions. Our sense of rightness and justice can direct us, give us a path in life. And I believe that God wants us to follow our conscience that is based on knowing the voice of God. I believe we are meant to hear, ask by these readings, does our conscience 
accord with what we learn in the scriptures? Do we mirror the actions of prophets and disciples? So I have three lessons for hearing God's voice and God's call that I believe accord with this morning's readings. First, one must be prepared that there is a God, like Eli needs to be prepared. I'm sorry, Samuel needs to be prepared. And that God may call you. Eli instructs instructs Samuel that it is the God calling him at night. And I believe this preparation of society is why we proclaim the gospel to insiders and outsiders every Sunday. We are testifying there is a God, that God is alive, and that God has spoken to us and will speak again. Second, one must be engaged in the disciplined service of community to hear God. That, I believe, is the lesson of Nathaniel, being connected in personal stillness and appropriateness to the fig tree, which was a symbol of the Israelite community. Nathaniel is situated where he needs to be to hear his call. And third, the third lesson I'd like to propose is that the voice and call of God must be authenticated in community. There is no private messaging. Bob Kud is right. There is no private messaging between us and God that cannot and does not stand the test of submitting itself to the judgment of the church. Jesus calls the disciples in community. He does not speak to Nathaniel in his calling story alone, but in front of the other disciples, so that Nathaniel may test his discernment and hearing by checking the responses and agreement of the others. Not only through voice, but insights, through insights, hunches, elegant coincidences, dreams, bursts of energy, and inspirational thoughts. God is continually calling us to listen and then follow, shaping our encounters with God in our own unique ways. These insights and elegant coincidences can speak to us as convincingly as a voice does. We need only test our hunches that God is behind them by acting on our own unique consciences in ways that bear fruit. I think that may be how the voice of conscience functioned in our guests today, the valve turners. They confirmed the consequences of their actions with the rightness of their consciences. We'll hear more about that later today, but I think we become convinced of God's voice by the fruit of the Holy Spirit's voice in our lives. When I was in seminary, I routinely questioned my relationship, not with God, but with ministry. Seminary studies were putting a strain on my marriage, and I wasn't convinced that I had the necessary graces and virtues for a counseling ministry. Each semester at San Francisco Theological Seminary began with a worship service. And I tell you the truth, in the opening worship service to each of those eight semesters, I was visited by a spirit that, in the words of John Wesley, strangely warmed my heart. 
joyfully warmed my heart. And as I experienced this, I heard the words, this is where you should be. I couldn't sense that these words originated anywhere but from my own ego, but the strangely warmed, joyful heart I felt was otherworldly. And I think it should not surprise us that if we are in relationship with the Holy Spirit and with God, the Spirit speaks in a voice that sounds personal and familiar. It does not speak in archaic language or in Hebrew or with the sounds of thunder. I believe this was God's voice and call to me. The experiences were repetitive, elegant, and consistent with Scripture. Thus, I have another lesson regarding hearing God's voice. That one should prepare for hearing it in a regular worship setting under the personal reflective equilibrium of Scripture and conscience. God cannot speak against God's self. That what we've learned from the ancient holy men and holy women who heard God's voice prior to the Bible's writing is a relatively sure guide to how God wants people of all times and places to hear God's voice. But hearing God's voice can be hindered by what we might call weapons of mass distraction. The internet, television, gaming, and general busyness. These are what these are our culture's din of what the Buddhists call monkey brain, intruding on our inner selves. So in addition to preparation to hear God's voice in hymns, preaching, scripture, and worship, the virtues of conscience must be cultivated. And I note three virtues of conscience. Gratitude, silence, and honesty. Gratitude thanks God for relationship, both with God and with others. Gratitude is the preparation for authentic worship. If we express, express thanks often enough, it develops into a virtue of gratitude that stays with us even during our struggles and challenges. Raising children with the virtue of gratitude gives them resilience, and it is through gratitude that the body functions socially to give benefactors their due, but ingratitude also is the work of the soul. It is the work of eternity to gratefully praise God for our talents and our calling, and gratitude, like all the virtues, tie soul and body together. Virtues tie the ephemeral needs of the body for daily sustenance with the confidence of the soul to go without continually stuffing itself because of greed or fearfulness for what tomorrow might bring. The Grinch stole Christmas, and yet the Who's, young and old, sang praise and thanks around the town square. Their souls weren't disturbed that their bodies weren't going to have that night's traditional roast beast. Theirs was the virtue of gratitude, the virtue that helps soul triumph over stomach. Silence. 
is also a virtue that builds resilience. It is the virtue that derives from the commandment to keep Sabbath. We, and hopefully our children, turn off keyboards, screens, and weapons of mass destruction, distraction on a schedule and devote at least a portion of each week, or better, each day, to cultivating silence and stillness. In stillness, we stifle the monkey brain of our own id, and it is in the total silence that the Holy Spirit may heal our hearts. The main weapon of mass distraction is busyness. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody that they're so busy that they cannot hear you? Have you ever turned down the radio when you're lost in the car while driving? Do you turn down the voice of your conscience because you feel lost or obsessing about something in your daily life, your job, your children, your health? Be still and know that I am God, the psalmist writes. Don't rush out to explore for God, but meet God as God comes to you in your stillness and conscience, in where you're supposed to be. Know the inclination and urges of God's pointing out a direction for your life. This is God's call to our conscience. This is where we are quiet. Our virtues and God's word can act symbiotically on our hearts. And this silent stillness is a spirituality a Sabbath practice, a turning to God's word in prayer and silence through a prepared environment that is not in tune with the monkey brain noise of our culture. I want to turn this sermon over now to the virtue of honesty, which I believe is pretty lacking in this current age. But first, I want to make a too brief statement about this weekend's commemoration of Martin Luther King Jr.'s birth a man whom I believe without doubt heard God's voice within and in the social conscience of his people, all people, and acted on it. Not only can you hear God's voice within yourself, but you can hear it in the ringing wisdom and prophecy of others like Dr. King. I would like to say to you this morning, if you do one thing this week, to commemorate truth and Dr. King. I'd like to invite you to follow the link in today's written sermons, written sermon to the King Center in Atlanta to learn about an underreported but legally established fact of our nation's racist history. That website reports the findings of a 1999 civil trial. Quote, After four weeks of testimony and over 70 witnesses in a civil trial in Memphis, Tennessee, 12 jurors reached a unanimous verdict on December 8, 1999, that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated as the result of a conspiracy of the mafia, local, state, and federal government agencies. The jury also affirmed overwhelming evidence that James Earl Ray was set up to take the blame, unquote. This upcoming April, 
is the 50th anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King in Memphis by government conspiracy. Yes, America does do conspiracies. Back to the virtues. Honesty is a virtue greater than control. Controlling others malevolently in abuse, propaganda, and lies is the great social sin of our age. The need to control is behind sexual abuse, racism, and economic exploitation. In that sin, the collective id is rampant. The id desires to control its childish fearfulness and unleashed greed to such a limitless extent that it loses its soul by lying. Uh, Yevgeny Yevdeshenko, the Russian poet who died last year, wrote this about the Soviet period. People will remember these strange times when ordinary honesty was called courage. I believe these are words for our own debased times. Yet honesty is not just about sincerity. Honesty is concerned courageously with the health and autonomy of a neighbor's conscience. Thus the church has always frowned on gossip, which may be someone's sincere expression, and even a sincere expression of a truth, but that of a faulty and unloving understanding which is directed at controlling others. And I believe God's call is for conscience to be a connoisseur of truth. And that requires a sustained communal effort in deliberation regarding the common good, not simply a sincere personal reporting of the felt voice of the id's desire. Nonsense shouters, climate change deniers, political liars, and folksy quasi-Christians like Roy Moore hold reality, including science and the rule of law, in contempt. They seek to banish those who live in a reality-based world defined by intellectual and moral autonomy. They stifle the word of God and the autonomous soul in relation with God's truth. Voltaire cautioned, Truly, whoever is able to make you absurd is able to make you unjust. Nonsense and totalitarian rule are inextricably linked, and they conspire to embolden the brutal and the stupid. They use cliches and slogans, most of which are absurd and contradictory, to justify their greed and lust for power. These techniques and propaganda of the id-driven mob degrades and drowns out the communal and personal voice of God that expresses God's will for justice and communal harmony. They drown out truth. It is upon clear conscience based on honesty, silence, and gratitude which we must depend to resist the supremacy of the individual and collective id. A conscience guided by the Holy Spirit and God's word is required. A conscience purged of the id structures that hate self and hate others. To those who do not cleanse their conscience of hate, 
but instead give full vent to it, I say, shame on you. God speaks through God's primary law to love your neighbor as yourself. Your hatred is a lie. Listen to your conscience. Listen for God's cloistered voice within us that transforms us. Be more judgmental about ideas and less judgmental about people. Resist the urge to make Jesus an object of static religion and more a guided path which we follow. Listen to the call of God to enable springtime neighborhoods of shalom, where truth, beauty, empathy, and justice endure. Come, let us live without fear. Let us live without greed. Let us lean on the everlasting arm. Let us make neighborhood together in the lee of God's awesome power, in the softness of God's tender voice. Even amidst the rage, fire, and storm of modern life, let us live with the whispering softness of a gift-giving Lord. Let us be changed in our inner being by our glimpse into and recollection of the abyss of disaster, yet let us thrive in the ongoing springs of spiritual whispers that tell us that we are friends of the Lord of life and the living. Amen.